Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. stunt driver you just got your license back we almost died we almost died twice i was totally out of control thanks for being here man we just want to welcome everybody who's with us online we're glad that you're with us as well doing a little pre-super bowl pre-game here uh, with us and my name is brian and i'm one of the pastors here and we are in a series of talks called out of control and this is a conversation about boundaries in our lives. And one of the things I want you to do real quick is, is if you'd pull out your phone, I want to put a text number up on the screen. Um, coming into next week, we are doing something a little different. Uh, we're going to be doing a basically Q&A back and forth conversation with you. And so over the course of this series, we've taken your questions and we'd love to have a conversation with you about the things that you've struggled with and wrestled with in regards to drawing boundaries. And so we'd love to hear your questions, send those in to us. And this is a chance for us to talk about what's really going on in your life and we'll be receiving questions uh, Via, via text live during the service. And so it's going to be a really good conversation next week. Come back for that. I'm excited about church, man. You guys, lots of good stuff going on. We launched into four gatherings starting this January. And just since doing that, our church has grown by over 300 people. Is that crazy or what? That's awesome. Yeah, we will celebrate that. That's exciting for us because that's you guys showing up to church consistently, bringing your friends and neighbors to church. And for us, that's 300 more people that we're able to share the gospel with every single week. And so thank you for being a part of that. Thank you for those who stepped in and started serving and making that happen and and being a part of this new stage of ACF Church. We always say this, we don't just do new new services, we plant churches. And so we've essentially planted a new church within our church and created a new opportunity for us to gather. And so we are in this series about boundaries, but I want to get to that in just a second. Um, and I want to pause real quick before we get going. Um, Alaska is really, it's a big state, but it's a small state. Um, there's not that many people in the state of Alaska. And so when things happen in Alaska, it kind of feels like it happens to all of us and we all feel it to some degree. Um, this morning, uh, a few of us were talking about the Guardian paramedic flight that went down in southeast Alaska. Many of you have heard about this on the news. Um, there are people in ACF that are directly tied to those who uh, were on that flight. And so I want to stop for a minute as a church. Uh, we believe that prayer matters. We, we believe that when we pray, God, the God of the universe actually hears us. And that it makes a difference in our lives and in the lives of those we're praying for. And so if you would just bow your head with me. Let's pray for those people involved with that this morning. Jesus, thank you so much that um, you are present. Thank you that you're aware and that you're never surprised and that you love us deeply. 
Father, in situations like this where uh, it doesn't look good for those who are involved, we know there's a lot of grieving, we know there's a lot of pain, we know there's a lot of sadness. And so we as your church, we feel that as well. Um, God, and we acknowledge that this world is a, is a broken place and that things aren't as they should be. And so God, we pray that you would grant peace to those who have no peace today. That you would give a sense of embrace by your spirit today to those who feel very alone and who are, who are lost and struggling. And God, we pray that we as your church would know how to love and how to care and how to just be present with those who are struggling today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in this conversation about boundaries, I want to take a step forward um, in this because so far we've covered a lot of different topics. We've, we've covered the idea of, of having an identity, that having a clear identity in Christ is how we draw boundaries with other people. We talked about boundaries with friends. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Josh talked about sexual boundaries. Were you here that week? That was a fun conversation, right? I was actually streaming that as I was driving across the state of Montana. So uh, watching in online, and, and for some of you, that was really uncomfortable. You're like, should we be talking about this in church? Um, the answer is yes. Yes, if you can't talk about sex in church, where can you talk about it, right? Um, and, and just so you know, if you're new to church or new to ACF, um, we've made a commitment to you and we'll continue to make the commitment to hit topics that are going on in our culture head on. Um, when things are going on, when things are happening in our church, in our culture that, um, that demand us to have an answer, then we're going to talk about those things. And can we be honest that we live in a sexually broken culture? Uh, can we kind of nod our heads and go, yeah, that's going on. And so we as a church, then we'll talk about those things. And uh, just so you know, like we kind of said it was PG-13, gave you a chance to dismiss your kids that week, but you never know what's coming out of my mouth, just so you know, as a parent. So just be ready for it. We have a great kids ministry downstairs. Uh, use that as much as you can, because we're just going to be honest about things up here. Um, and sometimes it might be a little bit more uh, of a mature content, uh, but Read the Bible. It's got some mature content, you know. I'm always, I'm always, it's always funny when people are like, man, I don't know about my kid hearing about that. And yet they've given them a Bible with Song of Solomon in it. And I'm like, did they read that? Because you should read that. There's some stuff that you as a parent may not be comfortable with. So anyway, um, really important talks. But this today where I want to go is this idea that boundaries are gates and not walls. We talked about this, that Christians tend to be really good at putting up walls. We're really good at going, no, okay, so now that I'm in Christ, I, I kind of sequester myself away from the brokenness that's in the world, and yet we look at the life of Jesus, and he didn't do that. Jesus ran into having relationships and associating himself with people that were nothing like him, people that were very different than him. And so we have this opportunity where, in so many ways, we're still like the world, we're still broken and in need of grace, and yet at the same time, we've been changed by Christ, called holy, new, and made right before our Creator, right? And so in that, we have all this amazing opportunity to create common ground with other people, that we should look for common ground. Although there is no neutral ground in the kingdom of God, there is lots of common ground to be had as Christians, but boundaries are gates, they're not walls. We don't want to put up walls, but we want to understand this, that there is an enemy that seeks to break all of our boundaries. His desire is that you would set no boundaries, that you would let anything into your life, anything into your belief system, and just sort of live whatever feels good in the moment. In fact, Matthew 16, 18 says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I don't know if you knew this, but hell has gates. Hell actually has gates that are intending to release damage and brokenness and sin into your life. The things that will destroy you, destroy your marriage, destroy your friendships. That's what hell seeks to do. 
So we have this enemy who's not conflicted inside of himself about what he's about. He knows what his boundaries are. He knows what he's here to accomplish. He knows his mission, and it's to destroy you and me. But good news, heaven has gates too. Good news, Matthew 7, 13, enter by the narrow what? Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So there is a gate to heaven, but it's a, it's a difficult gate to find, and it's a hard one to go through. It's a difficult road when you want to walk a life of boundaries. And because these boundaries that God gives us, sometimes we think that they're intended to restrict us, but God wants to actually release us. He wants to free us up to live a better life, to live the lives that we were actually created to live. And we kind of know that boundaries are like that in other areas of our lives, don't we? Right? We know that, like, speed limits are good, aren't they? You're like, well, I break them all the time. Well, that's fine, but they're good. You, don't, you wouldn't get to work safely if there were no speed limits. Am I right? Right? We know that laws are good. It's good that we have laws. I mean, imagine if, like, the police force in Anchorage was like, hey, for 24 hours, no laws. Right? We're just, we're going to actually just go home. All the police are going to go home. You guys in the city of Anchorage and Eagle River do whatever you want for 24 hours. How many of you know, you know that would be a disaster, right? Like, I mean, Best Buy would be cleaned out. The car lots would be empty. People would be stealing cars, breaking into homes. If, if they're like, hey, no laws for 24 hours, you'll never be persecuted, we would destroy ourselves. I mean, it's a sign of the human heart, isn't it? I mean, we trend towards brokenness and disorder and a lack of boundaries naturally. We need the help of God to get our lives in order and to create boundaries. So we know that these boundaries are good, but I want to talk about, uh, what I want to talk about today is that these boundaries lead us to a life on mission. That although so far we've kind of talked about drawing boundaries with toxic people and how to, how to be careful with that. We, we've talked about boundaries with like our kids and relationships and how to make sure that we know what we own and, and they know what they own, right? And the freedom that's in that when we actually know what we are responsible for. But I also want to say today that people with good boundaries love really well. That a church that, that gets boundaries will be a church on mission to its city and into the world. And so for you today, if you don't have good boundaries, you will not be launched into the kingdom mission that God has for you today. But if we do know our boundaries, then we will be those who are on mission. And so if you want to grab a Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 10. Um, that's where we're going to be today, verse 24. Or you can download the ACF Church app and join with us there as well. Here's what it says. I'm going to read this chunk of scripture and then we'll kind of get, go through it. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them. I want you to pay attention to the word fear. It's all over the place in this scripture. For nothing is covered that will be not revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Are not one of them, uh, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. 
Therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But listen to verse 33. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So if you have a pen, I want you to write this down as we start today. Disciples of Jesus don't only claim ground, they take ground. As disciples of Christ, we don't simply claim our yard. We actually want to take ground for the kingdom of God. And so I moved up to Alaska 10 years ago, and like many people, I had a lot of misconceptions about the state of Alaska. Maybe you did as well. Maybe, maybe I w- watched too much Discovery Channel. I don't know what it was. But I had a lot of things in my mind that weren't quite the same as what I thought they were going to be when I got here. Uh, and one of those things that I kind of like had in my mind was like, I want to go like stake some claim to some new ground in Alaska, right? Like I kind of thought it'd be, it'd be awesome, go out somewhere in Eagle River and like, I want to build a house here, you know? I'm going to homestead this little property. And I realized they just don't do that anymore. But I did some research this week that, uh, about the homesteading that happened in Alaska. And this all began with uh, this legislation that started in 1898. And these homesteads started popping up all over the state of Alaska. And most of them started showing up after World War II. And by the end of this time, back in the 80s, over 3,500 people had staked new ground, taken new ground in Alaska. Just really a, a cool thing. But when they took that ground, there were actually requirements of them. They actually had to do things. It wasn't just like I could just take the ground and do whatever I wanted. There were requirements by the state so that they could actually own that ground. The first was this, that they had to live on the claim land for five consecutive years. You couldn't just like claim the ground and like I'm back to Pennsylvania or something like that. You actually had to stay there and live on that property for five consecutive years. The second thing was that you had to live in a habitable dwelling. You actually had to build a home on the property in a tent. Didn't count. So you couldn't just like put a tarp up and be like, that's kind of a dwelling, right? You had to actually build a home on the property. The third thing is that you had to cultivate at least one-eighth of the land. It's really interesting. So you had work to do, things that had to be done, requirements of you, so that you might own the property that you're taking. And I was thinking about this, that as disciples of Jesus, these three things seem very relevant to us. Like, you could kind of describe them like this. These three words. First, live. The second word would be to build. The third would be to plant. Okay? Live, build, and plant. And what was interesting as I was reading this is that these are the marks of a disciple. I mean, these are the same things that are included in the life of someone who says they are a follower of Jesus. I would describe it this way. To live would be to take hold of our salvation as a free gift. I mean, that's the first step. And maybe you've done this. You've seen your need for a rescuer. And you've been like, man, my life, as I've tried to take care of it, has been pretty messed up. And so I I know my need for a savior. And this this is this idea of identity. and, And Angela spoke about that. That we would know our identity in Christ. We would own that identity. We would listen to who God says we are, and we would say, I believe that is true. So that's the first step, uh, that we would own that. The second step is that we would build, which I would describe as learning to become who Christ says we are. So this is the journey that we're all on. If If you're a Christian here today, you are on a journey of being built. 
In fact, Ephesians 2 talks about us being built into like a dwelling place for God, that God actually dwells within his people, not in some kind of building here in Eagle River, not in a church building, but in his church, his people. That's where God actually dwells. And so as we go through life, it's this learning to believe who God says we are, right? Like there are things that God has claimed over you as a man or as a woman that you're like, I'm not so sure yet, right? I kind of think that this is better. I kind of think I want this more. And that's the theological term is sanctification, to be made holy. It's this journey of becoming who God says we are. And the third thing that we have in our lives is something called planting, which I would describe as to express the gospel to others in word and action. So there's this process that we go on as we, as we step into the life of being a disciple of Jesus. That there's these things, these marks that are in our life. The first is to have this identity, and then we become more like Christ, and then it turns into this planting that happens, that we're actually like spreading seeds of the kingdom of God in the world around us. There's this story in the Bible of this man named Zacchaeus, and many of you have heard this story. You might only know one thing about him, that Zacchaeus was a wee little man, right? Poor guy. I mean, you got to feel bad for him. It's like, you know, he's in eternity somewhere with God going, really, that's the only thing people know me for, is that I'm, but he he was actually known for some other things. He was a tax collector and a thief. And so most people were like, they didn't want anything to do with Zacchaeus, which once again, guess who Jesus wants to hang out with? Zacchaeus, tax collectors and thieves, those who everyone else had given up on. And so they have this, this interaction with them, and, and Zacchaeus, who's a wee little man, is called out to uh, by Jesus. And just so you know, his, his stature and his height have nothing to do with the story. People read into it a lot. It doesn't really mean anything. He's just a short dude that Jesus loves. So um, they have this interaction, and we read this in Luke 19, where he says, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of everything, I restore it fourfold. So the first thing that Zacchaeus experiences is this new identity that he's given. And the, the next thing he does is his heart has changed. He's starting to, to want different things. Like this is immediate. This is like five minutes, right? He starts to be generous and he wants to plant seeds of the kingdom of God by being generous to people. Like, hey, I just want to give to the poor all of a sudden because of what God has done in my heart. I want to be generous to others. And in fact, those who I've hurt, I actually want to, want to love them and serve them by giving them even more than I've taken from them. So you see the journey of discipleship that this guy went on like immediately. It wasn't like, well, in 40 years later, Zacchaeus began to be generous, right? Like five minutes, the man was changed and it responded. Uh, he responded with a life of generosity. Verse 9, and Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to, this is why Jesus came, listen, to seek and save the lost. You see, Jesus came to plant seeds of the kingdom of God for the salvation of many people. And as you walk through the life of Jesus and read through the Gospels, uh, which are basically like autobiographies of the life of of Jesus, as you read through the Gospels, you, you see that he was planting seeds of the kingdom. In fact, his favorite sermon was, repent for the kingdom of God is near. And, and, and he didn't just say it, he actually did it. He actually, as, he, as he served people and healed people and, and, and loved people, Jesus was showing people this kingdom that was coming. That he was the beginning of this new thing that was happening. And when Jesus was asked, how should we pray? One of the things he says is that you should pray that it would be on earth as it is in heaven. 
And so we as ACF Church, what we've done is we've sort of absorbed that as part of our vision. So it's our vision that it would be in Alaska as it is in heaven. And we hold true to that. And we align everything with that. And so what we do as a church all the time is that we try to bring little pieces of heaven to earth through everything that we do. And and so when we like set off fireworks in Eagle River on New Year's, um, there's a few reasons for that. Because some of you are like, why would you spend money on that? Like, I don't get it, right? Uh, First of all, we like explosions, and that's okay. Um, We think fun is actually deeply spiritual. That's that's an important thing that we should do. But most importantly, uh, we want to serve a community And we want to love people with no strings attached. We want to give people something and expect nothing in return. And how many of you know that's really uncommon, right? Like you guys know that the Super Bowl today is not about the Super Bowl. What's it about? The commercials, right? That's really all it's about. I mean, they're not like, can we just entertain America? Like we really love America. Can we entertain them? No, they're like, we want their money, right? Uh, Trust me, like a lot of revenue will be pulled in this week. Uh, from a lot of different organizations, because that's just, that's business, right? But, but understand, like, in our world, there is, you can't get something for nothing. And yet, isn't that what it means to take ground? The kingdom, isn't that what it means to be saved by God, that we actually receive something that we did nothing to create or to be worthy of, right? And isn't that good news, that we did nothing to deserve the salvation that Jesus wants to give us, I mean, I think that's really good news. In fact, we expanded this vision this year as we um, launched into some work in Bobo Gilasso, Burkina Faso, and we sponsored 500 children through Compassion International. Now, our, our um, new vision and expanded vision is that it would be in Bobo as it is in heaven. We want to see the kingdom of God expanded beyond the state of Alaska into the world, and we want to cast that vision to others. And this idea of Spreading seeds of the kingdom is something that is talked about throughout the Gospels and throughout Scripture, that this idea of being somebody who shares the kingdom, it's sort of talked about in an agricultural sense, like planting. Uh, anybody here grow up on a farm? Any, any farmers in the room grow up around farm country or whatever? Uh, farming, here's what I know about farming. It's hard work. Like, it owns you. And I always laugh at people who are like, man, I wish I could leave my desk job and go like be a farmer somewhere and just like run a tractor around and, you know, super chill job. I'm like, no, you don't know, because I used to spend every summer in Maine with my grandfather on his dairy farm. And so when you're like, yeah, I just want to be a farmer, that means I just want to wake up at 2 a.m. and chase cows around a pasture that got out. Like, that's what I want to do. You know, I want to be working all day long and stressed about the weather and like, like never have a vacation. That's what it means to be a farmer. Farming is something that just sort of like, it takes a lot out of you. It's very sacrificial living, and it costs a lot, and it's hard, but what I know about farmers, they have a vision for what they're trying to accomplish, and the work is worth it. The work is always worth it. What we know about Jesus is to seek and save the the lost for, for Christ was not free, was it? For Jesus to plant seeds of the kingdom didn't just cost him some ridicule or, you know, some difficult times in life. It actually killed him. Jesus went to the cross so that he might plant seeds of the kingdom of God, which begs an important question of us here today. If you are a believer in Jesus, it begs a really important question. What keeps Christians today from sharing their faith with others? Because I would bet, I'd bet, that in this room, as we look at these, there's one of these three that you're just like, man, I need to grow in that if you're a Christian, right? 
Because these two are somewhat subjective a little bit, right? Like, okay, so I've got my identity in Christ. I think I know what that is. Uh, build, okay, sanctification. Yeah, you know, I stopped cussing and um, trying to read my Bible and um, trying to kind of like care better for my wife or whatever. But then there's planting, which demands something from you that you would be sacrificial, that you'd be giving of yourself, of your time and energy and even your words to share the story of Christ in your life. Now that's the one that it gets, gets kind of hard, doesn't it? It's like, man, I don't know if I've done that. I don't know if I've actually been, uh, been a, a planter in the kingdom of God. It, which, so then you wonder, well, why? Why is that? The first thing I thought, well, maybe it's the cost. Maybe it's just that, man, it's going to cost a lot in our lives. We're going to have to give something up to be people who are planting seeds of the kingdom of God. But then I was like, no, that's not true because I'm willing to invest everything of my life into something that I believe is worth it. Right? I mean, you are as well, right? Like the things that you're, you think are worth it, you will give your time and your energy and your money to if it's worth it. So it's, it can't be just that it's expensive because we all have resources and, and we all have, have things that we can give to things that we think are worth our resources, right? So it can't be that. So I was thinking, what is it? Maybe it's a lack of knowledge. Some of you here will like, well, I would be a planter. I would plant seeds of the kingdom, but I don't know my Bible well. I don't read my Bible well. I don't need, know theology, right? And so um, I need like a class on apologetics. I need to be taught about world religions. And I would say, yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, you should, <laughs> you should get in the Word. Um, you should take some classes. You should educate yourself and learn how to have conversations about those things. But here's what I know is that if you're a believer, whatever it was that was told to you that resulted in your salvation can be shared with someone else and also result in their salvation. Do you guys get that? Like, like it doesn't take any more than what you received to give it away to someone else and for them to receive it and them to also be transformed by the work of God through that, that step of obedience. So it's not just that you don't know enough or I don't know enough verses or what if I get stumped, you know, like what... What is it? I think it's honestly one word. Ownership. I think the church today has a problem with ownership. I think in general, um, we see the mission of God as someone else's job. And, and I shouldn't say in general, because there are so many of you that are very open about your faith, and so many that are, that's why our church is growing, because you're like, man, I'm bringing my friends, and I'm telling people what Jesus has done in my life. So, so many of us do this. But I would say we struggle with feeling ownership of the mission of God in our city, and in our world. There's, there can tend to be an excuse, that's someone else's job. Which is why we kind of have remodeled the way we do church. So one of the things we've talked about is that we do something called partnership and not membership. Because I grew up in a church with membership, and when I think of membership, I think of Costco, I think of Alaska Club, I think of places where I go to consume, right? But if you're a partner of an organization, it's, it means that you are actually bought in, you're an owner, and you go down with the ship, right? And so if ACF is struggling, guess who's struggling? You are, right? Not like, man, Brian better get his act together. No, you're a partner. We're all part of this thing together. And that's when the, th the church thrives, is when people say, no, this is my community. This is my church, and this is my mission to be a part of uh, in, in Eagle River and in the world. Ownership. Um, when I was in Wyoming here, uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, one of the things I do when I travel is I always go on a little like food tour. I don't know if any of you do this, but wherever I go outside of the state of Alaska, I've probably got five restaurants that I want to go check out, right? And my favorite restaurant every, every time I go is Chick-fil-A. 
I gotta, any Chick-fil-A fans in the room, I gotta get me some, I gotta get me some Polynesian sauce, some nuggets, some crinkle fries, the sweet tea, so good, so good, so, so I go to Chick-fil-A in Cheyenne, and I'm sitting there eating my Chick-fil-A, and one thing I'd never noticed were their trash cans, this was like, have you seen the Chick-fil-A trash cans, these are like of another world, the tech, that you could launch a space shuttle with a technology that's in one of those trash. There are blue lights and green lights all over it. There's like an automatic door, so when you walk up to it with your tray, that it like opens for you, so you don't have to get that gross like ketchup down the drawer thing, the door thing. You just put your stuff in there, and then when you step back, it, it closes, and then it compacts the trash all on its own. Like like somebody somewhere was like, we want to make throwing away trash like as sexy as possible. It's going to be, everyone's going to want to throw their trash. Look at this thing. You just want to go up to this and throw your trash away. And so I was just enamored by this trash can. It was so cool. And then like I looked down at the ground and guess what I saw? Trash. And, and I, I think this, you know, this organization does the best out of many to keep their places clean, but you've got human beings coming through that place. There's going to be trash on the ground sometimes. And the thing that I thought about was like, I think we as churches get this wrong sometimes. Like sometimes we think, man, if we can make church as awesome as possible, then maybe people will be on mission for Jesus. Like, man, if, if it's just fun and engaging and, 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 and I do a great job bringing the message and the band is great and we have great ministries to you, then you'll own the mission of Jesus. But I don't think that's the case at all. Just like for Chick-fil-A, until people are owners, they will probably let someone else throw their trash away. The church is the same way. Until you are an owner of both your faith, which includes the mission of God, then you'll probably wait for someone else to do it. Why? Because it's going to cost you a few steps. It's going to take a little time. It's going to take something from you and probably be somewhat sacrificial. But it really comes back to who are you. It really comes back to, do you know who you are in Christ? Because the mission of God is propelled by the who and not the do. Really, it comes back to who you are. I mean, we can tell you how to do it. We can talk about how to be on mission. We can plan mission trips, which we will. At the end of this year, we're hoping to go to Bobo Dilasso, and so excited about that. But what happens in between? What does life look between here and there? Because right here where all of this collides, I want, you to, I want you to see this, right here is something called a disciple. So planting is not like Christianity 3.0. Planting is not something you do when you've been in the church for long enough, when you've been a Christian long enough, when you've been around it. No, planting is actually the mark of a true disciple that all leads to here. You continue walking around on this journey. And I wonder for us, if you've got friends who feel like the gospel is irre- irrelevant, and I would say in our, in our world that that's something that's said, said a lot, like church is irrelevant, the gospel's irrelevant. I wonder if the reason they think it's irrelevant to them is because it's actually been irrelevant to us. When they look at our lives, they're like, well, I don't know, like it's not that much different than mine. I, You know, it doesn't seem like it's something that's just like you're bursting to tell me about. So uh, clearly there are better things to do with my time and my energy. So let's be clear. The gospel, if it's not relevant to us, it will not be relevant to the world that we live in. But as we understand this, as we catch a vision for the kingdom of God, people will be drawn to the message of Jesus. And I see that happening all around us. As you guys, one person at a time, gets this and steps into it and owns the message 
of Christ. So grab your Bible, Matthew 10. I want to walk through this real quick, uh, these, these verses, because this is really what Jesus has to say to you today if you decide to take this seriously. If you're like, man, I, okay, I get it, Brian. I need, to, I need to own all of these things. I want to step into truly being a disciple of Jesus. There's a, first, a few things that you need to know. Verse 25 says, it is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher. So we're following Christ, to, to be like him. And the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So the first thing that we need to realize is that we can expect ridicule. You can expect it. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, a true disciple of Christ, it will result in ridicule. He says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. I mean, I think this is one of the number one reasons that we don't share our faith is because we are so scared of what it might do to the relationship. Many of you have thought this or said this. I don't want to make it weird, right? Come on. You don't want to make it weird in the relationship. And, And I would say that a lot of us might say, I'm not afraid of people. I'm not driven by other people's opinions of me. When's the last time you shared the gospel? When's the last time you shared your story of what Christ has done for you? When's the last time you invited somebody to church? Because if you haven't done those things, there's a great chance that you're scared of people. That you just don't want to make it weird. And on this, this trip, we just drove down the Alcan, my dad and I, and um, we hit about Fort Nelson, and the, and the roads got terrible. So he'd been sleeping for a while, and I pulled over. He woke up. He's like, want me to drive? And I was like, sure. And I had this inner conflict because um, I hate to be told how to drive. It's just kind of one of my issues. I'm, I'm a work in progress. I hate to be told how to drive, and my dad uh, is sitting next to me, and he's clearly been driving for a while. And I was like, hey, don't set the cruise because the roads are bad, right? Mr. Obvious here, like it's snowing out. But I just want you to know, roads are bad and really icy, so make sure you don't set the cruise. And he's like, oh, that's cool, whatever. But I was thinking, like, it kind of took me to kind of get over some of the, man, I don't want to tell him to do, I don't want to make it awkward or whatever, to be willing to open my mouth. And I just think, had I not done that, and we, like, drove a mile up the road, and we're like, Arr! off in the ditch, piled up, and he's like, why didn't you tell me? And I'm like, well, I don't want to make it weird, right? I don't want to make the uh, relationship awkward, uh, you know, like, it'd be ridiculous. Do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. I think we're more afraid of what people think of us sometimes than the potential of someone spending an eternity apart from Jesus. And isn't that a little twisted? I mean, isn't, that, isn't, isn't there something a little wrong with that? John 15, 18 says, the world hates you. Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So Jesus was hated for who he was. Which begs the question, too, if you're in the room here today and you're like, I've never been hated for my faith. What does that mean? Like, like what does it mean if you've never experienced any kind of tension or ridicule or even been hated for your faith. Now, the opposite is true. Somebody here is like, I am hated by everyone. I must love Jesus, right? That's not what I'm saying either. There's a big difference, right? Like, if you're online and you're just, like, venting about everything, you know, on Twitter and Facebook and everybody hates you, like, you're not being a martyr, you're being a moron. And that's different (laughs) than what it means to actually be Christ to people in this. And so just because we're hated, obviously, that's not what it means. But it does beg the question, if I'm not 
occasionally in, in relationships that are broken because of what I believe. If not, I'm not occasionally like dealing with some tension in a conversation because of what I believe. Does that mean I'm a believer? Like, like, like am, I, am I a disciple of Jesus? Because I, I would have maybe said I am. And then he makes this statement, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of the household? This word Beelzebul, have you read this maybe in scripture before? I was studying this word. I want to know, like, what does this word actually mean? So I'm going to, can I do a little art for you? This is my art, art time here. So here's literally what in the Greek the word Beelzebul means. Give me a second. Give me a second. I'm coming. This is literally what the word Beelzebul means. If you don't know what that is, ask the 16-year-old that's sitting down the row from you. Pull out your phone and try to text somebody. You will find this emoji in your phone. This is the Bible, by the way. If you're like, what's he doing? This is I'm just, what it literally means. What Jesus was called was Lord of that. So we call him the king of kings, but when he was on earth, they called him the king of that. And so it's like, well, what does that have to do with us? Why would that mean anything to us as Christians today? Here's what I think he's saying. I think he's saying, if you're going to live a life of this, people are going to talk a lot of that. (laughs) Just let that soak in for a minute. And that's okay. In fact, it's more than okay. It may actually mean that you're following Jesus. Verse 26, so have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say it in the light. Oh, man. I get there. I've slipped in and out of church before and been like, man, I hope nobody sees me. It's like, don't live in the darkness about your faith. Be a believer in the light. What you hear whispered, I love this, proclaim on the housetops. What in your life would you be willing willing to scream from your rooftop? You see, our hope is to confront people with the truth before they're crushed by it. That's what he's saying here. He's saying that the truth of Jesus in the gospel is something that the people in your life will one day be very aware of. Now, they may stand on either side of it, but one day they will be very aware of this. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is is Lord. And so as you share the gospel with somebody, listen, this is so freeing when you get this. You're not telling them something that they won't one day know. That's what he's saying. Like when you tell people, hey, do you know that we are sinful people? Do you know that we can't fix it? And the idea that if we would get rid of all laws of the land and that we would destroy ourselves is a sign that we as humans are intrinsically evil at our core. That apart from God, man, it's, we're a mess. And I know we all want to love ourselves and think that we're good people and just think better about ourselves, but at our core, we are prone towards brokenness and sin and destruction. But good news, Jesus made a way. Jesus calls you something different. God actually has a new identity for you. And you can go on a journey to believe what he says you are. And you'll stub your toe and you'll make mistakes and you'll do things that you're ashamed of. And that's okay, we all do that. But as you walk through that, there's going to be people around you who are still stuck at square one. They just are still stuck in their sin. And because you experience so much grace, this free gift of grace, you can't help but tell them about it. And as you tell them about it, again, you become 
a true disciple of Christ. What's the message of Jesus? The book Boundary says it like this. It says, God respects our no. This is the message that you're sharing with your friends. God respects our no. He tries neither to to control nor nag us. He allows us to say no and go our way. Think of the parable of the prodigal son, the story of the rich young ruler, or the story of Joshua and his people. In all of these examples, God gives a choice and allows the people involved to make up their minds. The message is simply this. All roads do not lead to heaven. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through through me. Like Jesus, it's a very specific statement about how we can be saved. And it's only through Christ. But for your friends and for all of us in the room today, you don't have to do any of this. You can go home. You can go watch the Super Bowl. You can be with your families. You can do whatever you want today. But Jesus says there is more life to be experienced. There is something better for you. There is a purpose for you. And your time is, is, is going to be numbered. Your days on earth are numbered. The last thing is this. The stakes are high, but the reward is unimaginable. Yeah, it's a heavy load to bear, but the, the reward is unimaginable. And once again, know that you can't save anyone, but man, you can be obedient, and you can experience the joy of, of opening your lips to someone and making it awkward for the sake of the kingdom of God. And in that, what you're doing, you know what you're doing? You're actually loving them. You're actually loving them by doing that. We had uh, about 50 hours on the road, and um, those of you who have done that drive, it's just long. And you kind of get in your head, you get thinking about things. And um, The reason we were in Wyoming was because my father-in-law passed away. Few weeks ago, and so many of you, thank you by the way for supporting our family, for sending text messages and bringing meals, and uh, we just we love you guys. We're grateful for our church family. Um, but as I was there, we had a celebration of his life, and there was a really singular theme from everyone that spoke about Amanda's dad. It was really simply this: um, that he was a man who put his hope and and gave a chance to people, and risked a lot for people that everyone else had given up on. That's what kind of man he was. He risked his reputation. He risked what people would think of him. In fact, some people didn't think well of him. Sometimes he did this. But he risked all of those things for people that everyone else had given up on. And here's what you need to know, is that's the story of you and me is that Jesus risked everything for those that he should not have associated with. He's a good God. He's a loving God. And I wonder for you, what's your legacy going to be? What's your story going to be? What at the end of your days will be what's told about you? Will it be, man, that woman or man was so convicted about what they believed? Because the work that you do, do here on earth today, it actually can go beyond your years. God can actually work through what you do on this earth way beyond the years that you spend here when you understand what this is about and become a true disciple of Jesus. So would you just bow your heads for a moment? I want to pray for all of us. I just want to ask you a couple questions. First, what is the Spirit of God saying to you right now? And maybe is there the face of one person in your life that God has placed 
near you or around you that you've been given influence and opportunity with that you have resisted sharing the gospel with them because you just didn't want to make it weird. You're just more afraid of those who could kill the body than one who could kill the soul. God, we do not want to live lives that reject you. And you say if we acknowledge you before men that you'll acknowledge us before your father. So God, help us to be the kind of men and women that acknowledge you. Not simply in word, but also in deed, in the way that we love and serve and forgive, in the way that we're generous and caring. God, forgive us for giving way to fear and buying that lie. God, make us a church on mission. Break our hearts for our friends to the point that we are bursting at the seams with the truth. God, send us out on mission that it might be in this state and in this world as it is in heaven. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.